0: Today is best of breaking into the luxury market. I've put together three interviews that had really key points about breaking into the luxury market with none other than Robert Barristow on the Jerry Metcalf team at Atlanta Fine Homes, Sotheby's International Realty, Jack Cotton with Sotheby's International Realty in Cape Cod, and Bill Fandel, the infamous Sotheby's International Realty broker in Telluride, Colorado. Robert on my team rapidly broke into the luxury market in his 20s, which he's still in his 20s with multi-million dollar sales in his first couple of years. He's going to talk about how he did it. Bill Fandel, again, he's in Telluride, Colorado, came from a middle-class family, humble background, and is literally doing multi, multi, multi-million dollar deals in the tens and hundreds of millions of dollars, cash deals that have closed in days. I mean, record-breaking Transactions And he gets real and talks to us about the mindset and exactly how he did it. And then we've got Jack Cotton, the most famous or most well-known broker in Sotheby's Af- International Realty. He started his brokerage from nothing before brokerage was even considered a true business or a well-known business that it is today. And he's risen. He grew that brokerage to one. That was then bought or that he sold to Sotheby's International Realty, where he now is leading and coaching agents around the world and continues to sell multi million dollar properties. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf Podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast is to share knowledge for realtors and raise awareness for give back homes where real estate professionals work together for social good. Jet Centers Aviation, Bentley Atlanta, Legends Global, thank you for your sponsorship. Right, so it's the Jerry Metcalf Podcast. Today we've got Robert Barstow, who works with me in Atlanta, Georgia. He's been in the business barely a year and already does million dollar and multi-million dollar transactions. So really excited to have you with us today, Robert, to talk about what you're doing and what we're doing and how you're so successful in the business so quickly. Um, Robert, fill in the blanks a little bit there and just tell us about yourself and how you got in the business and um, give us a little bit of your story of breaking into this business so quickly.
1: Absolutely, Sarah. Thank you for the wonderful introduction. That's more than gracious. Um, so basically, when I got started after college in my career experience, I I started off in a sales role as an inside sales role through a company called Whitehead Associates, and there I really found a love for sales. Um, but I did want to be more face-to-face interaction with the actual customer. So. I gained a great relationship with people over the phone who I'd never even met, and um, kind of went from there and just forming relationships. So I knew that that was something I wanted to do moving forward in my career. Um, also, uh, was really trying to focus on a product line that I would enjoy selling. And I was born and raised here in Atlanta. Um, grew up all in the two areas that, um, really, three areas that. Jerry and I covered the most, which is Buckhead, Brookhaven, and Morningside, um, and took it from there. And it just so happened my last job was a block away from the Georgia Institute of Real Estate, so I would take night classes there and came came through after about I think three months there and got my license. And uh, before I even got my license affiliated with the brokerage firm, I had a listing. So. I had to hurry up and do that quick. And it's just kind of snowballed into what it is today. And I really enjoy every day. And every day is different. The experience is phenomenal. The people are just what make this so rewarding.
0: So, everybody listening to this probably wants to know, including me, how did you get a listing before you even were signed up with the brokerage?
1: (laughs) So, my, we, we, I rented a house with a couple guys. And they, we were planning on renewing the contract actually. And, they reached out to us, and we, we, we countered back with an offer. Said, you know, hey, we'd like to stay, still stay here and pay the same price. And they said that they had no intention of of um, relisting with us. That we were that they were going to sell the, the house. Um, it was an investment property for them. So we uh, we talked a little bit more, and I told them I, I had my license, which I did, and um, I told them that uh, I I would be honored to represent them.
0: That's great. So did you have to interview or did they, I think they just knew you well enough and they were familiar with you enough that they hired you or how did that go down?
1: I did. I had a very intense interviewing process and I actually competed with probably the top agent in the area at the time. Um, And I, I shined, I guess. So, I don't know.
0: I was going to say, did you find out what made you shine? That's a great story because you competed with the best of the best, and you have still got the business. What What do you think it was that put you over the top? Because I, I don't. You and I have worked together, but you know, I always say when you're competing with somebody who appears to be a mega agent with a big name, often you have you have the advantage, but you don't realize it. Or otherwise. They're only interviewing the other the big names is a default mechanism as well. It's hard to go wrong this way, but I'd really like to get somebody specifically for me, which is why they would interview you know someone that isn't that big name yet like yourself. But what do you think it was? Did you? It, I know you well. I can see how you would have listened to them and really figured out what it was that they needed and been able to establish how you provide that for them. But elaborate on that. Was that a little bit of it, or am I or am I off on that? And and what was it?
1: No, yeah. Um, so just to elaborate on that. I was very upfront with them about how this, you know, I was new to real estate and this was, you know, one of my first deals, Uh, but at the same time, I I mentioned the fact that I had so much value in project management skills, Um, I really, the the house did need some work so I ended up, we did about $15,000 worth of work to maximize the profits for them. Um, So the other realtor quoted... The house. She thought that it could list for four hundred and seventy-nine thousand dollars, mm-hmm. and felt that we could get six twenty-five for it with a little bit wow. of work. Um, so after it was all said and done, the house closed at six twelve five hundred. So
0: that's that was- huge. That's a so, huge success story just to start.
1: Yeah, just a small investment in the home really made a significant change in the long run. So,
0: mm-hmm. And you were able to, you were able, even being a brand new agent, you were able to establish that and know that. And that comes from us all remembering that even whether it's you're getting in the business or even when you've been in the business, remembering our strengths don't just come from our experience in the business, but our life experience outside of that, which is absolutely yeah, and I mean,
1: it's an area I grew up in. I knew the area well. I've, I've tracked it in the past. And, you know, I, I told him straight up, I said, if, If you were listing this house for four seventy nine, I would buy it from you. So I I thought I thought we could get it um, much higher and That's huge.
0: And I think a lot of agents get criticized for we get criticized for listing houses and saying, you know, inflating prices and you were able to establish that's not what you were doing and, and own up to it and close on that and that's that's huge and I'm sure that probably that was a great way to kick off your business. And you've been in the business how long how many months now? I mean a little over a year is it?
1: So, I, I'm i a little over a year and a half, I'd say, okay. or I haven't counted exactly, but I came, I believe it was the end of August 2015.
0: Okay. And I think right now, how many million, you have about 5 million under contract, is it? And that's just so far in 2017, a couple of months into the year.
1: I've got a little over 7 million under contract okay. right now, um, and I've closed about, I think just shy of 4 million. So,
0: that's huge. Uh,
1: yeah. Or by the end of
0: month, I'll have all pending offers closed. So okay, great, great. So kicking off a great year for our team. And um, what I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but I got I want you to answer these questions. On what is your greatest success so far, and what are you most proud of so far in in being a real estate agent um, in your first year and a half of being in the business? You've had so many. I mean, that one story alone is it, it's not a huge price point, but it's a huge success.
1: Oh, definitely. And I mean, I, I don't know if I would put it as far as like success as a as a like a price value, but I, mm-hmm. more so that I just felt like I found a really good niche here at Atlanta Find Fine Home, but especially with you, Jerry. Mm-hmm. I, I think we really have something special going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably above all the success. Um, the clients are amazing the price points are amazing, but, I mean, above all, it's really what you're, who you're dealing with, where you're dealing with it on a daily basis, and I can be happier where I am now, and I think that's that's a success.
0: Well, it's, I love that you say that because I think so much is – in Isaac and Whitney, who work with our media company or head our media company that help us with so much of our marketing, we were talking about that, about – this money I mean this business does pay well but it's at some point what's the money worth if you're not around good people and you're not enjoying who you're working with you're not not just our clients that are so great but also our team and the people that we're aligning ourselves with um and what is your do you have any one source of business or what would you say is your best source of business or best lead generator in in developing all this business so quickly
1: I would say that just getting people out there, knowing that you're in the business, and I've had referrals come from some sources that I never would have expected a million years to come from, and you know some of my best friends haven't referred me. So you know it's just it, it's a matter of where you are, and um, I think as many people in your sphere that know that you're in the business and you're actively working and you're actively doing deals and making stuff happen for clients, the more people that can see that, then the more it kind of speaks for itself.
0: Well, it's like that saying, it's a kind of a cliche saying in our business, but don't be a secret agent. Don't be afraid to let people know. And do you have any examples, especially, I mean, for me, I've been doing this, I've been doing this for 13 or 14 years. Of course, I'm going to stop keeping out soon, but I don't, I've just, it's a habit. So I'd love to hear from you as somebody who's, for me, I find myself, I just have, I subconsciously fit it into every conversation I have. And for you, you're newer in the business. How have you been so successful at, or did you, a lot of this comes naturally to you, but you are very smart and you have a very natural way with people. Even when you're selling, you position yourself very well that people don't feel that way. Or what are some examples that you could give us of how you figured out how to I'm taking a long time to ask this, but I want to make the point that a lot, I find a lot of people who are new in the business don't know how to put it out that they're an agent without feeling awkward or without feeling like they're imposing upon people that they have to get a referral. And you've obviously are very good at getting the word out on that. What are some, a few examples of how you've done that?
1: Sure. Well, uh, for starters, I think the, the company resources that we have here at Atlanta Fun Homes, um, the resort emails, the, uh, the market we use for all sorts of, you know, just excellent marketing pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook's only something I really started doing about a year ago and I created a page and I, I think it was like, you know, one in the morning when I had it all done and, you know, how I wanted it. And then I yeah. sent out an instant to everybody, but it, you know, it was a one in the morning and. You know, by the time somebody sees it, maybe noon the next day, it's kind of already down in their feed. So I didn't get a lot of likes at first. So I've really been trying to amp up my likes there on my page um, where I've gotten it to a point where I'm, I'm very happy with it and mm-hmm. people are seeing it And it's worth the money to pay to advertise on it. So, And I'll um, say, we, well,
0: go ahead. No, what were uh, you no, guys Oh, and also, like when you meet people one on one, and I know we've all heard about certain training programs where there's the "oh, by the way," we're never too busy for your referrals. What is your what is your way? Because that's become kind of a we can't do that anymore because everybody does it, and it's, it you know, it, and when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with people, you know, you're you're a 27 year old selling houses for millions of dollars already you got to be a little more sophisticated with it than that. So give us some examples. And uh, some of this may come to you too naturally, but to give us some examples being newer, you probably could think of some of how you've been able to do that.
1: Sure. Well, I can't get away all my secrets, but, um, I do. <laughs>
0: oh, now we see.
1: <laughs> no, I, my sales approach yeah. probably isn't salesy. Uh, exactly. A, um, I try to be very genuine with all my, my clients, my friends, mm-hmm. my family. Um, you know anybody that I interact with, I really like to spend a lot of one-on-one time with people, and I think I think above all of that people appreciate that. And no matter who you're talking to, whether it's a longtime friend or somebody you just met, um, it's going to come up what you do. So, you know, I, I tell them a little bit about what I do and um, mm-hmm. how I helped people, and you know, chances are I know somebody through somebody that they know about you know, looking for houses and that sort of thing. And, um, typically, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't push it, but a lot of times they'll, they'll say, well, Hey, I, you know, I'm really impressed with what you're saying here. You know, well, let me reach, let me give you this contact, you know, so-and-so is looking for a house or, you know, my aunt's looking for a house and, you know, they, they don't all develop, but, um, you know, I've, I typically send them a note afterwards and, um, you know, just a just a $5 Starbucks card saying, you know, get, get your next coffee on me. I appreciate you thinking about me. So, exactly.
0: Um, well, there's two things. Just, well, go ahead.
1: I, I was just going to say, I, I just think as genuine as you can be. And yeah. um, I just try to be very, you know, come across as very trustworthy and, um, and just somebody that's willing to do the hard work for you.
0: Well, I think what what I hear you saying if I were going to sit down and write a blog on what we just said was there's three things there's competence, and that there's competence there's authenticity, and there's consistency and follow through you've got to be competent, you're good at what you do and you stay good, you stay on the market, you're authentic with everybody that you work with, so everyone knows you've got someone comp- you've got someone competent who's going to be authentic that they can then trust, and then you're consistent in your in your follow through I mean we get so many leads and you get a lead and you follow through and you're you're consistent authentic and competent in doing that. So I think that's huge and the the fact in that is, is it's our business is such a simple business it's we've got to just show up and deliver on it and offer that sure. value. Um
1: and this so, so is go ahead. Go ahead. What uh, do you say? Yeah, I mean people have a large amount of people to pick from in this business um yes. and they go with the one that it's going to work hard for them and
0: spend that well and you said something else spend the time I think there's two different I feel like in our industry there's almost two different ways to do business there's kind of the which there's nothing wrong with either one so I don't want to come across the wrong way and say this but there is more of the streamlined Lower price point, you just you fit them through a system and a streamline, and you it's kind of like McDonald's has a streamline, and it's the same exact thing every time, and you know what you're going to experience. But then there's the other end of that where it's the Moritz Carlton, where as you get in higher price points, which is what you've automatically attracted in this business in your first year and a half. But that is what you're saying: it's the authenticity, it's the time that you're spending with them, and a deeper level of competence that you've got in those price points that those clients need, and they also need your time. Time, which you're able to provide, provide more of than the agents who have, who are your competition, who've been in the business so much longer. So I think that's huge. And something, my next question, I don't ask this often, but I'm, 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 I'm feeling very compelled to ask you, is what does the company and the broker you matter? I'm going to read what I've written down here because I've got some notes I go off of. But does the company and broker you work with matter and why and how important is it?
1: I, th- I think it. I think it's very important, um, and I know that they'd be pleased for me to say that. But I, I really yeah. do think it is um, important. There's been. I, I could at least count on two hands the amount of deals or the amount of referrals that have come through, where the sole reason I'm really a contender is because I'm with Atlanta Found Homes, so these, I mean, it's. It. I mean, because. I mean, say. If I, if I was an agent on my own with my own brokerage, that starting a year and a half with some change um, in the business, having my, my own name on my own brokerage, um, probably not gonna get a lot of business, but uh, you know, there really is a substantial uh, power behind this brand. Um, and we're about to celebrate 10 years here in Atlanta. Um, the company itself has been around forever. But um we really have a strong presence here. small small group of agents but all very productive. Um, and very much in the know. But mm-hmm. it's a great
0: Well I think we have twice the we have almost twice the level of productivity on average per agent than the next most high producing company in Atlanta. So that's pretty huge. And of course I agree with you. Um but I love your answer to that. I think that's that's always a good good insight, especially for somebody that's newer in the business that you're coming in the business and what your perspective, what your experience has been in, on, on, and you just chose Sotheby's so recently. Um, and coming, so coming into the business, I think a lot of real estate agents come in this business. A lot of people, I hear people tell me, I love to look at houses. So I want to be a real estate agent. <laughs> that might be my favorite. So of course we all know there's a big aha coming for them. If they ever get into the business, but what is, well, go ahead.
1: Or they say, I want to create my own hours.
0: Yeah, yeah, which then you find out it's every hour and every day.
1: It's it's which 12 hours you are gonna work, you know. Right,
0: or which 24, you know, all 24. Because if you're not doing it, you're, 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 you know, it's in your, it's all the time. So you got to love it. But when you came in this business, what was your biggest, like you came in this business, what was your biggest aha? Like what was your, you know, you come in, you have an idea about how this business works and you get in it and you're like, Oh, that's not what I expected. What would be your biggest? And maybe an, even I say an aha, not just an unexpected, but an aha. And as then something you figured out about the business to also make you successful.
1: Sure. Well, I'll set the background a little bit because I was I was trying to be very thorough when I entered the business, and I knew roughly about 12 to 15 people um, that were in the business or had connections to the business, and I took every one of them out to breakfast or lunch um, before I even interviewed. Which is great work.
0: advice, too. That was really smart.
1: Which, which I think, I mean, anybody in our position being a real estate agent would be more than happy to, you know, to, uh-huh. to sit. And, and educate them on the process and now I'm sitting on the other side of it and I'm I feel very fortunate because I can be very direct and you know you know not sugarcoat things for them mm-hmm. because I, I feel like I feel like that helped me so much mm-hmm. um, but that being said I think the biggest surprise which probably should have been a surprise looking back on it but you really, like I didn't really understand the whole aspect that I was you know, I, I knew I was affiliated with a firm, I was quote unquote working with a firm, but I really didn't understand that I was starting my business. And um, I think that's been the biggest surprise, it's been a very pleasant surprise, because mm-hmm. you know, you're making your own brand for yourself, you're, mm-hmm. you, you are your own boss, and I think that's a huge perk. Um, but it's something that just... I, I was kind of in the distance, you know, I, I was focused on other things when I was first starting and I didn't realize that. So, but that's been a very pleasant surprise. I've, I've kind of taken that and run with it and it's, it's been a fun ride
0: for sure. Oh, that's great. All right, everybody, we're here today with Jack Cotton um, and Kate Cod. Excited to have him here. Well known for being a luxury expert and author of actually four books, but three specializing in luxury real estate and the fourth on the, what is it about the dogs? The
2: dogs going yes, to life, yeah. Yes,
0: yes. So, so let's start off. Tell us a little bit about the books that you've written. We didn't talk... We, this is Jack Cotton for a second time, everybody. We did an audio interview and decided right. it would be a good idea to right. have him come back and... and I was this, in the neighborhood,
2: so why not? Right.
0: Fortunate enough that you're here in Atlanta. Right. So we're getting together and going to do an interview in person and learn like a little bit more about this. You were, Perfect. Everybody was so excited to hear you the first time. Um, and we are going to focus today more on the expertise and really pinpointing what you need to be an expert in and specializing in luxury real estate and transition into what we need to talk about in the listing presentation. But let's start. Tell us a little bit about the book you've written.
2: Well, the main book I've written is called Selling Luxury Homes, and it's really everything from A to Z that an agent needs to know, understand, and implement to become an expert um, in luxury real estate, to become a trusted advisor. You, you don't want to become just a realtor. You don't want to be just an agent. You want to be their trusted advisor. People at the high end have medical experts, they have legal experts, they have tax experts. They want to know they're dealing with a real estate expert. So that's what you want to be seen as by them. So you want to become a trusted advisor there. You're the person they call they have a question that has anything to do with real estate. You're there for them so that's really i think what sets it apart and that's what my book does it teaches you how to become that trusted advisor to the high net worth people in your marketplace
0: i think that's so great too because so much of the training that we get in real estate is about how to get a lead or how to win a deal close that,
2: sale. Close close that sale. deal yeah. close that deal right.
0: and not that long term what is it that we right. really do and value present the value present the value it's,
2: it's all about value in the high end people want value you know the conception or perception of the public, of us, is that we're toll-takers on the get-your-home-sold-highway. And the higher you go in price range, the higher the commissions are, the less those people are willing to pay a toll to get their home sold. They want to know that you are adding value, and you need to be able to demonstrate how you're adding that value and how you're not a cost, but you're a value-added, not a toll-taker.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that completely diverts from negotiating commissions when you're hiring an expert. We don't right. negotiate the cost of the surgery with our heart surgeon.
2: No, I no. Joe's discount heart surgery, I don't think so, no. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Right. So going into that, um, we, we're gonna talk about, you've got, we've kind of hit before we interviewed, but what we really need to focus on being experts in.
2: Right, well first of all, as like I said before, people in the high end, the higher you grow in price, the more people want to deal with an expert. They brag about their experts go at a cocktail party, oh, the guy who fixed my elbow, he fixes the elbows for the Atlanta Falcons or my tax expert, you know, whatever. You always know, want sort to of brag about your expert, so you want to make sure that you are brag-worthy. So there's five areas of expertise that you need to excel in to be successful in luxury real estate to become the trusted advisor to the net worth people in your marketplace. The five areas are, number one, markets and value. You need to become an expert in markets and value. What are things selling for in your market? What are they selling for per square foot, per front foot, per acre? What are the benchmarks in your marketplace? You know, are things selling for 100% of this price? What is the absorption rate? You know, what are they selling for as a percentage of property tax assessment? What are they selling for as a percentage of their Zestimate, for example? You want to really understand you know, markets and value in whatever geographic area you were going to specialize in, because that expertise is critical. and You can market that expertise, which I'll mention in a little while. So the next area of expertise, number two, is pricing. So you have the expertise of markets and value. Now you have to apply that to a specific property. So I love watching. I don't want to make anybody angry, but, you know, I watch those shows on TV, Million Dollar Agent. You know,
0: I don't I don't, I don't even watch it. I watch because but... I don't watch it
2: all the time. I don't watch it sometimes. It's very entertaining, but right. what the what kills me is that they walk into a house and they look around like this, they have, their hands are empty, they have no pen, they have no paper, and they, they look around the house and then the seller says, Well, what should I put on the microphone? and they say, mm, 12 and a half million. I mean, I can't get away with that. I have to have
0: well, I'm going to have to check that out and see yeah, how they do
2: that they, it's every time so wow. my, my sellers are tend to be way more demanding than that I mean I do a lot of Fortune 500 CEOs and people who have made their own money and people who can afford a multi-million dollar house for the most part didn't get that money by being stupid or being pushovers or falling off a turnip truck as they say so you need to convey expertise in how you come up with a price how do you apply the expertise you have in the first area of and value, how do you apply that to a specific property? Do you spin a dial? Do you pull number out of the hat? Do you ask what the competition said and raise it by 30%? I mean, those are all things that people do, not things I suggest you do, but have a process, become an expert in how you price. I'll talk about that more in the listing presentations. Number three area of expertise is what I call market preparation. Um, like, if you look at my little Jack's dictionary under market preparation, you'll see some people call it staging. I really don't like the word staging because, again, the higher you go in price, the more um, people don't like to be played or manipulated. And if you look up the definition of staging in the dictionary, it's not real, it's, it's a stage. I'm not saying you shouldn't furnish a room if it needs to be furnished or you shouldn't paint it, but. Market preparation, if, if I'm competing with you for a listing mm-hmm. in, in Atlanta, and you tell them how, what a great stager you have, well, I know well, Jerry's there, I know that stager she has, I have to get a better one. And so I'm going to tell them how great my stager is compared to your stage. then you find out about that, and you've got to get a, a better stager. It's the competition of the stages. Yeah, then I have to call Martha Stewart, and then my whole commission is gone. So here's what you cannot compete with with me, and I cannot compete with with you. That's market preparation. It's a checklist, it's a guideline, it's a protocol based upon your years of experience watching buyers go through the house and notice what makes their eyes light up or what makes their eyes blaze over. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) so in my case, I have a 52-page checklist which is based on my years of experience. Now, if you're new to the business, you can talk about your collective experience in your office or or your team. When I talk about, this took four decades plus to create this checklist of what makes the eyes of buyers light up when they walk into a house. Like like vacuuming your pipes, little things like that. Because people judge people judge what they can't see or what they can see. If you have clean pipes, they assume that everything behind the walls is good also. So room by room by room, I've created this market preparation checklist that conveys me as a market preparation specialist. You don't need a stager. You need someone who can show you how to make your house look loved because guess what? If, you don't, if, it, if it doesn't look like you love your house, a buyer's not likely to fall in love with it either. So it's all geared around that. And it's, it reflects you. And when you convey that to a seller, they buy into to you. You're the expert. I don't want to have to bring in other experts. I'm the expert. So then we have markets and value pricing, market preparation. What's the next one? Uh, the next one is marketing. How do we expose your property to the market? What is your expertise in marketing? What you know? What do you do to get the most amount of buyers to see the property? You know, it happens all the time in the high end where you, know, you go to a list a house and they always say, "Oh well, I had a party last summer in... Sally Smith said, if you ever put this house on the market to let me know or the neighbor wants to buy, I mean, they always want to talk to the one person who wants it. Well, that's like, that's like, if this table here was the whole market for this house, why are you going to limit it to this area of this one piece of paper by letting that one person see it? Here's my market plan, my market strategy, my market um, presence that allows me to create almost like an auction atmosphere. because." People at the high end won't act aggressively, and they won't act um, forcefully unless they feel a sense of competition and urgency that comes from that feeling of competition from the whole market. So you need to have expertise in marketing. And the last way of expertise, number five, is negotiation. You've got to be seen as an expert in negotiation. Now, I don't care how expensive the homes are you sell. I mean, where I work, God, they're not super expensive like other parts of the country. For us, like five or 10 million bucks is a big deal. Mm-hmm. My biggest deal was like a little bit more than 19 million. Well, guess what? Both the buyer and the seller of the $19 million house, which is a really big deal to me, are typically, routinely, all the time, doing deals of the hundreds of millions of dollars, if not the billions of dollars. So no matter what, no matter what my experience is, no matter how long I've been at this, no matter how big the house price it is, I feel outgunned because to them, it's peanuts. To me, it's the biggest deal that's ever occurred on Cape Cod. To them, it's like, yeah, it's one of my five houses time to get rid of it. You know, <laughs> and the buyer's like, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm putting together a whole bunch of stuff and this is like one little thing. So you have, to equal, you have to
0: equalize a playing
2: field between yourself and them.
0: Well, when they're hiring, you know, once you, I think once you go into negotiations, it, the emotions get involved, and it does become a big deal, like the big, big deals they negotiate. Yeah, which all be more important in that whether it's in your listing presentation, then understanding your right. expertise that they really trust that you know you, that don't, you're doing you, don't. And you know how to negotiate.
2: You have to understand also that you know I deal with a lot of high end people, and they're, they're funny. They have a lot of them have hobbies and avocations. Like in my market, they like to play golf, or they like to go fishing, or maybe they play tennis. But you know what? There's a bunch of them. They just like to do deals and ride realtors. That's their sport, that's their fun, that's their hobby. So that's growing. where you
0: learned all this from. It's right. those guys. it's
2: from being ground up by these people. And um, so you really have to be seen as an expert in uh, negotiation. There's three critical lessons I've learned from one of the Are We definitely went through okay. those.
3: So here's fun. what I did,
2: yeah. here's what I did. I learned this by making a complete fool of myself. There's a great book on negotiating called Getting to Yes. Yes. Have read that book?
0: I have. Yeah. I, well, I'm, I'm in that book, actually, because you recommended
2: it. Yeah. Well, anyway, Getting to Yes was written by Dr. Roger Fisher, who's passed away law professor at Harvard University. He's a great negotiator. He negotiated the nuclear arms treaties between our, our country and the Russians, among wow. many, many other things. And he wrote this book. And I like the book so much that I took a class from him at Harvard, summer school. It was 250 lawyers and me. Okay. And on the first day of class... He said, uh, he held a first edition copy of this book and he said, um, I need somebody to negotiate with me to get a signed copy of this book in the last day of class. My hand went up first. And That's so good. every day before we broke up into groups, I negotiated with Dr. Fisher one-on-one in front of 250 lawyers from around the world and made a complete, total, abject fool of myself. Talk about that- a
3: good
0: way to
2: learn. Oh, I know. And luckily I didn't know these people. I'm sure have <laughs> never forgotten. It wasn't recorded? No. I Maybe in your mind, but. I hope not. Anyway, the three things I learned are number one, um, you've got to have standing. Standing. Standing is what's you perceived preeminence in the marketplace. If you're dealing with a Fortune 500 CEO and then like this little realtor from Cape Cod, I mean, it's, you've got to equalize the playing field with standing. Yes. The way you equalize the playing field is through standing is to have experience, to have market knowledge, to have data, to really understand that person's motivation, to um, find out everything you can about them and why they want this property. And the, the, secret, the, the secret bullet is, on the magic bullet, or oh, the silver bullet, it's, that's the right bullet, right? The silver bullet. I think it's, bullet, it's, I think it's, it's the, the silver bullet. Is it the silver bullet? Yeah. It's the, the magic bullet, I what you mean. Yeah. It is competition because they think they're the only one can buy themselves. So you need to like we had a seller one time, and he's like, okay, we, we want you to sell our house, and um, I want to exclude my next neighbor because he's expressed interest in buying it. And um, I said, well, we don't do exclusions, so you can either have me sell it to him, or if you want, you can take a couple months and try to sell it to him yourself. I can call me if I can help you, but I don't do exclusions. So he said, well, I'll call you back in a couple months if I don't sell it. So a couple months later, four months later, I'd forgotten about it. He called back to say, I'm done. I'm done, I've been trying, he offered me $4.5 and I don't think that's enough for my house, so I said I agree. So I listed the house, and six days later, sold it to the same neighbor for $6.5 Now, it's not it's because- $2 million. Yeah, $2 million more. Was that worth, I can't talk commission, but that figure any commission worth, you want. That was worth the commission. I don't know how we many people think of saving commission by doing this, and leaving $2 million on the table. He was smart and didn't do that, anyway. Now I can say it's because I'm great and wonderful and all that stuff, but truth be told, it was because of the sense of competition. When his daughter looked up the window and saw me showing the house to other people, she called dad and said, They're showing the house to other people. Now, now there was urgency, now there's a sense of competition. That's how you build standing. That's my first rule of negotiation: build standing. Expertise, knowing what they want and um, creating an aura an era of competition for the property in sense of urgency is how you build standing. Number two, never ever, ever assume. I break this rule all the time. By when you assume that the other person wants what you would want, that's a recipe for disaster. So make sure you know what they want. Negotiating is not um, listening to what they say, it's really understanding what they really, really want. And sometimes it's in what they don't say. Exactly. It used to be a game show, you're too young, but there was a game show called You Don't Say, and it's exactly right. It's what you don't say. So don't assume. I can tell you how many times people, sellers, have, for instance, they um, will sell a home for a million dollars less to a person who's not going to tear it down, for example. Be money's not the most important thing to My assumption would be it's always, it worth the highest price. It's nothing. Right. So don't assume. And that was a mistake I made with Dr. Fisher. I assumed what he would want for his book was one thing. And as I pursued that avenue, I was t- 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 just slapped down, mm-hmm. kicked to the curb, stomped on, and just looked like a total idiot. So never, ever, ever assume. What's an
0: example of learning that letter? Do you have a good story in a negotiation with him put in, to put another way, put it into perspective yeah. for us?
2: I could, but this is going to make me sound so bad.
0: We <laughs> <laughs> don't want to be bad. Because but we all, as real estate agents, was, sisters, we all know we've done it
2: ourselves. I mean, what a dummy to go into this thing at Harvard University, at Harvard Law School, and like all these other teachers there are people you see on TV, like Alan Dershowitz and mm-hmm. Harvey. They're all dead now to Dershowitz. Dershowitz. Um, and I'm like making this fool out of myself thinking that this guy's going to want money for his book. And that's, that's what he did i assumed will well, start with money he didn't want money he wanted something more than money anyway I thought, well i
0: think that's important in negotiating yeah. when you're getting a listing don't know. Well, everything we do so much of it is negotiating when you're hiring an agent right. i don't want to switch topics too much but it's for me it's been a great example because i've broken into the luxury of real estate Early in my career, you, you assume they just want the hot shot. Right. And the thing that's important to remember is if you're in the room and they're interviewing you, it's for a reason. And don't assume you know what that is either. Find out. Ask the right questions. Ask the right questions. Ask questions. Don't find assume. Out. Yeah. Don't assume anything. Don't, and don't assume you know. You know, people go in. We have these preconceived notions about how to answer questions. Right. And I think often it's when they ask the question, understand where, where is that question coming from?
2: Exactly. Why
0: are they asking that? And why... And even coming in with the questions first.
2: And you can ask that question, I'm curious. Why are you asking that question? Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yes. and you know better than I do. You took the course,
2: but anyway, the third thing I learned, and this is what I'm really, really good at, which is having, which is detaching from the outcome. Totally detaching from the outcome. And one reason I'm really good at that is that as I get older I keep forgetting what the outcome is. So it's, it's, it's easy to detach. And you can't remember what it was. But anyway, yeah, that's right. but if they think you're totally married to the deal, you have to have this deal, um, mm-hmm. you start doing this. And this never works in negotiation. This is never. this is called needs, this is called a positional negotiation, it's inefficient, doesn't work. People get mad and angry, and eagles square up, and it just does
0: And tell me this I've had this conversation with a lot of real estate agents that, in our experiences negotiating, that I think oftentimes a lot of negotiating might happen in courtroom where where somebody's in that courtroom because they have to be. Right. And they're counting on an outside party to make the decision of what the result's going to be. So right. it's a little bit of a fight or a little bit of a, of, of a win lose mindset. And in real estate, the seller doesn't have to sell. I mean, in some situations, it might be in their best interest. Right. And the buyer doesn't have to buy. So mm-hmm. it's, and I think so often when you, and it gets back to your thing about assuming, when, be careful not to assume what the other party wants because there can be collaborations that are better than any compromise.
2: Exactly. So find out what their needs are, mm-hmm. then negotiate around that and keep bringing it back to their motivation and their needs. But detaching the outcome. The more you take the deal away, the more they want to do it. You know, what's your commission is like? Well, I'm not paying that much. Great, well, it's been nice talking to you. If you uh, change my, let me you know. You have up leave and they change the driver have
0: you come back in. Because they're obviously missing something. Yeah, to touch me hey everybody, it's the Jerry Metcalf Podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And today we have Bill Fandel. He's from the Telluride office in Sotheby's International Realty. He is one of the top re- luxury real estate agents in the world. He's been recognized by the Wall Street Journal. He's been recognized by the um, LA Times. He's a frequent guest on the global networking, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting what I'm saying, but on the global networking event for Sotheby's International Realty. Um, He's been named number 13 in Colorado. He's been named top 38 in the country. I mean, the the awards and recognitions go on and on for this guy. So really excited to talk to you today, Bill, and tell us a little bit about how you got into the business in the first place.
3: Well, nice to be here with you, Jerry. I I feel fortunate to join the the ranks of the people you've hosted here already and, and the host uh, yourself. So um, how did I get started in the business? Well, I grew up in New England. I, I'm I'm based in Telluride, Colorado, but I, I grew up in New England uh, where I was raised and went to school and uh, always had a natural curiosity about real estate. And uh, I was a middle, upper middle class kid and uh, surrounded by these grand old estates in the outlying areas of the town I grew up in. And I think that was a real point of curiosity for me, but in terms of how I actually entered the business, when I was in Telluride, one of the first real jobs I had, I got a job answering phones uh, at a real estate office. Very humble beginnings, um, but it got my foot in the door and gave me an appreciation what was, you know, what was uh, what the industry looked like. And um, and and for the first several years, where I really felt like I could become a luxury broker, I worked for a family on Martha's Vineyard during the summer so i used to spend winters in telluride summers on martha's vineyard worked for a family there and they owned the premier brokerage on the island and i worked at their hotel and i would my job was to meet and greet people at the hotel and i would frequently they would ask about real estate and i would sashay them right over to the real estate office and i thought to myself you know what this is something i could do yeah and uh, you kind and, of you were know,
0: you were making the introductions yeah. which is such a big part of it
3: yeah so anyway, that uh, that was the way in. And it, it, it just took off from there. One thing led to another marketing led to sales, sales led to, you know, listings, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. But that's- it's been a good run. I've been with Sotheby's uh, Sotheby's since 2001. So I've been with the the Sotheby's International Realty brand for a long time. And it's a big part of my business. that we'll be discussing today.
0: Wow, that's huge. So what did so what was your career before real estate? Because obviously you kind of Did you start in real estate or did you have a career before real estate? You
3: know, I went, um, you know, I had like a lot of kids. I had, I always had jobs growing up, but uh, most of them were, you know, odd jobs up through college. And uh, I I started out in the lodging side, hotels and lodging. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, my first real estate job where I was answering phones, I I was 23 years old. So I, uh, prior to that, I was, I worked at golf courses, cutting greens. Wow. I worked, uh, driving a shuttle. I, you know, I always had jobs and always made money, but, um, it was my first, uh, professional job, I would say. Wow. That's so
0: I've been incredible. in the
3: business pretty much my entire, entire and how profession. Long,
0: so you joined Sotheby's International Realty in 2001. When did you actually start your real estate career?
3: Um, Let's see. 2001. I I I got my first job, as I said, at 23. So that'd be 27 years ago. I was with a company that ultimately morphed into the Sotheby's International Realty firm here. Um, but really, my my big. The big break I got, I was hired by a development company to handle their marketing, um, the marketing of this new project that had never been taken on. It was the first private residence club in the United States, which subsequently Ritz Carlton adopted in four seasons. And I was given a job to you know, generate clients for them, mm-hmm. and it, we were incredibly successful in that venture. And as part of that... They paid for me to go get my broker's license. In the state of Colorado, everyone is a broker. We don't have agency. We have, everybody's a broker. So um, that was a big, that was a big plus, you know, to get to get that, to get that paid for and get the support. And so I went to work for that project subsequently as a, as a on-site broker. And it was a great start for me.
0: Huge experience. And how many, did you do that until 2001 when you joined Sotheby's? Yeah,
3: well, I That project led to another project where I was the kind of the on-site on-site sales agent, which which you're familiar with. I think you you sold uh, vacant land for builders, yes. if
0: I remember. Yeah, uh, good memory. So That's how I started, yeah.
3: Yeah, and I was working for these developers, you know, as they were launching these new projects in Telluride. I'd be the on-site broker, so I'd have my sales office on-site, meet and greet, and it was a great I, – I frequently encar- encourage um, new agents as if they want to get a start in the business – because the client you know the, the the developers are paying for the marketing mm-hmm. and they're generating clientele and it also gives you a chance to get in front of people and talk to a lot of people and learn a lot about questions and answers in the sales process exactly. so i went i went through three or four different projects and then finally i had a big big enough database where clients were asking me to to market their properties outside of those, uh, outside of the subject, you know, projects that I was working on. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of morphed into its own thing.
0: Wow, and so do you think that happened around 2001 or when did that go down?
3: Yeah, that was uh, late 90s. Uh, I think my last project I worked on was 2001 and I've I've still taken on large projects uh, throughout the course of my career. Um, as their listing broker Mm -hmm. um, but never been on an on-site sales team again you know it was a great experience um, and it certainly made me very familiar with how to do that well but I think it also helped me understand the selling process in the more traditional listing and selling you know model
0: and the marketing and what marketing works because these guys are paying for it it's got to work
3: Yeah, they had huge budgets they had huge budgets which is which were fun to play with um, but at the same time, what I, what is proven out over the course of time is, you know, hyper-targeted initiatives mm-hmm. always work.
0: Wow. That's when that's key. It I love what you just said. Hyper-targeted initiatives for us as listing agents of resale to keep in mind is not to be quite so broad, but targeted and make sure our money's going somewhere and closing deals and making money. So when you went from onsite to re kind of resell or working more independently you did that kind of parallel with your transition into Sotheby's international Realty, or with yeah. you another brokerage before that well where you were working i was independently? a very
3: successful brokerage within the company but i was big on branding mm-hmm. and uh, the owner of our of our firm at the time didn't really understand that as well you know he was much more focused on uh different uh, different models of client generation. I was very important as this market, as the, the ski resort markets became more and more sophisticated. I knew that that we had to grow our business with the clients. You know, mm-hmm. the clients were, were more sophisticated. What they expected in terms of marketing was more sophisticated. And I, when I was growing up in New England, interestingly enough, I, I went to a uh, a boy's school, a Jesuit boy school in the city. So I was around the city all the time, and I used to see the Sotheby's sign uh, right in the center of Boston, and the yeah. Sotheby's International Realty sign. So I was familiar with the the brand uh, from you know from my teens and twenties. And we had one of the the first um, affiliates out here in uh, in Telluride for Sotheby's. Wow. And they, it, it, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting story in the sense that as Telluride grew, it was actually based out of Aspen and they used to bring clients over here from Aspen to look at Telluride as an alternative. So anyways, I went to work for them in 2001 and it, 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 to grow my business very mm-hmm. specifically to grow my listing business, I felt the Sotheby's brand was a, a better fit for my clients than who I was with before.
0: So I'd love to talk about when you, when you broke in and I, I might know too much about you. I don't want to skip over anything important because I just, some of the things you've done with your business and I'll pause for a moment and let everyone know how you and I, well, we met two ways. We met at one Sotheby's international realty at a big conference there. And then that evolved and we met again at an event, you actually put together and brought real estate agents together with a business coach in Santa Barbara, where we all masterminded. And you, I mean, just incredible. And then we had tours of Ellen DeGeneres' house, another beautiful home in Santa Barbara, listed. You know, the first one was listed for forty-nine million. Another. Beautiful home with a view and a pool on the market for twenty nine million. You took us around to show us the estates, but I mean, really digging deep and into the into the Sotheby's brand. But that's how we met. But I want to go kind of a little bit before that. In when you went into Sotheby's, I'd like to hear about you've talked. We've talked about how you broke. You were in Telluride. You're in the market, but you're kind of you were a little bit isolated there. So rather than sit around and wait for the business, you went and got it. But elaborate onto this, or maybe we'll, I would, the question I would ask you, if I didn't know that answer, would be, what is your best lead generating tool, or how do you generate business in Telluride?
3: Well, that's a good uh, that's a good segue because for those listening who don't know where Telluride is, it's it's an isolated ski resort. It's very a dramatic setting, but it's you know even today. After it's evolved, it still is f- over 40 miles from the nearest stoplight, so it's it's isolated in the San Juan mile, uh, Mountains, southwest of Aspen, and it's known. It, it kind of was grew as a as a ski resort and has become a, a year-round resort. Very small, uh, very high-end place. So I, I came here in my in my twenties. But in terms of growing the business, I always knew, you know, these clients were coming from all over the world. But we had these distinctively long off seasons where, you know, seven, seven months, eight months of the year, it could be quiet here. So I learned early on, in addition to the marketing I was doing on the ground here, that I had to take my show on the road. Mm -hmm. So uh, beginning in the kind of mid 2000s, I would say, I um, began to travel to the feeder markets um, where I knew at any given moment the demographic that was feeding the business here was based out of. You know, for example, Dallas, uh, Houston, New York, Boston, San Francisco. I mean, markets where consistently we had uh, clientele coming here and buying homes. So- my own roadshow where I went to each of these, um, locations. I would, I would contact the, uh, managing broker in advance of my arrival and, uh, I would go and make presentations at the Sotheby's offices during their sales meetings on Mm -hmm. Telluride. And it was a way to not only make my my own name synonymous with the Sotheby's International brand, but also with Telluride in terms of a location. And I tried to focus on, you know, look, at we're, we're real estate agents and brokers. We have a notoriously short attention
0: mm-hmm.
3: span, <laughs> right. visually, and, uh, and then become the go-to for clients. Uh, for those for those agents out of those offices, and that was a big consciousness-raising effort on my own part. It's kind of guerrilla marketing, but it's become a huge part of my business in terms of referrals, both coming in to my business here. People like yourself who right. are clients. But also going the other direction, where a client realizes that I have these uh, contacts everywhere, and who might be the best person that can help me in Buckhead, or who can be the person who can help me in Highland Park, in Texas. So- exactly. That was a big part of the business.
0: That's huge. I mean, you could, but when you listen, the effort and time it took to go and travel around the country to do that's huge. But on the flip side of that, it's like, don't sit around and wait for it to come to you. And there's so many different things that you can do. And I would love, you know, so on the one end, you're going out and getting business and recruiting it back into Telluride. But even within that Telluride market, you are so synonymous with, you're branded yourself, but you've also, aligned yourself with the Sotheby's brand. And mm-hmm. I think you, you I've heard you say again and again, make yourself synonymous with the Sotheby's brand. When think of, when your sphere thinks about Sotheby's, they think about Bill Fandel in Telluride. And even and, you know, in general. A, if, if,
3: so, in fairness to the to the uh, you know, there's a lot of good. We have a small town, so just to give you a sense of how competitive it is here. There's 2,800 year-round residents in in Telluride, very and there's nearly day. 200 real, 200 real estate
2: agents. Wow. So
3: it's it, yeah. it's an intense little shark tank here. Yeah. Um, so it, it's about doing the things that separate yourself and and elevating yourself relative to your peers. And you know, I had the flexibility in my schedule to do that, but it was uh, it was very important, especially as I began to realize in those early 2000s, you know, it was the uh, the rising tide of mass affluence, you know, that began in the 80s. You were now having people with three, four and five homes. So Sotheby's was a name familiar to them, whether they were mm-hmm. in Greenwich, Connecticut, Palm Beach, you know, out in Santa Barbara, Montecito, mm-hmm. they were, that was a familiar brand to them. So when they were landing here in Telluride, and they were looking to select the real estate uh, broker to represent them you wanted to be that person that was you know that was one in the same with that brand that they already felt comfortable with so I was very it was very important through print marketing and digital marketing to uh, make sure that your presence um, and the way you represented properties aligned with their expectations of Sotheby's which you've done
0: got. a beautiful job of, by the way so tell us about, because the next question I was going to say, in such a competitive market where over 10% of the people in the population are licensed real estate agents, what do you, which I already know the answer, but tell us, and you, we're already going there, but wh- what do you do? Or tell us about this magazine is really where I'm going with us. But what do you, and other things, too, to stand out above that competition?
3: Well, that is an important consideration. I think a lot of people who are in the business – you know, one of the challenges I faced when I got into the industry here was that a lot of people had moved here. I mean, they were in the real estate industry and many of us faced this battle. They were in the real estate industry when I was in kindergarten and they mm-hmm. helped build this resort and they were very established. So my biggest competitors were already in the game. And people mm-hmm. were like, there's not even enough room. There's no room for any more real estate uh, professionals around here. So I knew I need to do something different. Um, so I always focused on quality, you know, imagery was critical for me. I knew that, you know, before there was digital imagery, you had to pay a lot more for it. But I, I wanted to make sure that every single thing that left our office was high quality and that people, um, when we were representing their property, it was how they saw their property, you know, Agents Mm -hmm. were notorious at that time for, you know, just driving by a property and snapping a photo and, you know, they'd bring it online sometimes with no photos, sometimes two or three. I always felt it was important to position. But one of the things, getting back to what you were leading up to, was Mm -hmm. I always... Um, spent a portion. I committed a portion of what I earned from any sale to marketing, and I kept rolling money in, back into marketing in a way that probably would have been tougher for a lot of my competitors with you know, growing family or something. But I was able to do that because of my age, and I was single at the time, and and I was able to. Um, what I decided was I need something to separate me even more, so mm-hmm. I created my own uh, my own dedicated magazine. Um, yeah, everybody else was, was, you know, putting ads in individual magazines and competing with each other within that magazine. So I figured I'm going to create my own proprietary magazine that features, you know, what I see the market is and the quality of imagery and the look and the feel and the statistics. And then I think things that were engaging. And so I I would say I'm probably on maybe the 25th volume of that magazine, Mm -hmm. but what I did was create a multi-page. It's now up to about 52 pages, and I distributed it as an insert within the local newspaper. As opposed to a lot of places uh, where people began pulling away from print, I leaned into it, created mm-hmm. this magazine, put it as an insert every Friday and Saturday in our paper, and it was a takeaway. And I mean, it was much to the chagrin. My competitors hated it. They still hate it. I love
0: to hear you talk about it. Yeah, it's awesome. And people
3: literally will walk into our office and say, I want to be in this magazine. You you don't know me. I own this big house. I would like to be in this magazine of yours. So it became a lead generation source. It became a branding, you know, a statement of our brand. And um, it really did make it very difficult for a lot of my competitors to – to be recognized with Sotheby's in the same, uh, with the mm-hmm. same level of effectiveness as I've been able to.
0: That's huge, so, that's huge. And so how many how many years have you been What year did you start that magazine?
3: Yeah, I was gonna say, I would say it was probably 12, 13 years ago. As I said, we're at 25 volumes. So I print anywhere between 30 and 50,000 of those twice annually. So somewhere between 60 and 100,000 of those go in as either inserts to the paper off, r- racks in front of our mm-hmm. office or, or direct mail to agents or clients. and uh, and then we have an online a digital version that we post on you know social media. Um, but it's been particularly powerful. And you know, I think um, you need to look for those opportunities, I think, in your business, where you can own a space where where you own the the vehicle, in which mm-hmm. people get that information. And, um, you know, it, it, candidly, I, I, I refer to it as kind of an arms race. I don't need to compete with the 200. There's only five mm-hmm. or six people who are going to even hope to compete with me in terms of that expense. Mm-hmm. So then they have to be motivated to do it. And well, it's,
0: it's not just an expense, it's a time and effort and creativity and yeah. process. And
3: and- well, Ellen Williamson, who's who's here in the office. She's my marketing director. She does an incredible job with that. Um, And the two of us both love the creative side. I think that's a big part of it too. It fulfills a creative uh, bent in each of us that we really like to make it better and better. I always say, you know, make sure each thing that leaves your office is better than the last. Exactly. You want things to look good, you know? Um, Exactly.
0: Yeah. So you you do some really, really, heavy trends, just really big number of transactions. Um, as far as your volume, um, you've got, so I think you've broken some records on sales prices of homes and properties you've sold and things like that. So elaborate on that. I think as real estate agents, everybody wants to be a luxury real estate agent. And then you get into it and you realize a lot of these properties take a lot of time, money, and effort to sell. What is the difference or what is it that you did that there's so many people that have tried to break into that market and they really just kind of gave up or, realized it's a lot more than it takes what's the difference between you and what you've done as far as the actions you've taken and then how you've actually leveraged that action to create success and create sales if that question makes sense i'm kind of trying to ask you too yeah, many at once I, but yeah I,
3: well i made some conscious decisions when i was and this kind of is something you asked me before we jumped online about you know um did you, were they, did you ever make a mistake that turned into something else? I don't know if it was a mistake, but I made a conscious decision years ago when I was just getting going. I, was, I started being offered these listings that were kind of in our market were, you know, um, under a million dollars, which is, mm-hmm. is the lower end of our market. And I turned them down mm-hmm. and I remember somebody saying, you know, some guy, an older guy lectured me, like, you shouldn't do that. You should never turn that, you know, to turn down a piece of business. And I thought to myself, well, I don't want to be typecast with this. I know what I want. I know type-cast. what I want my business yeah. to look like. I had seen in other markets, even even before luxury became, you know, this huge um, space that people, you know, had had populated. I wanted to always represent the top tier of the market the highest quality things, the best quality clients, and I was willing to spend my own money to do it, and I was willing to work harder and longer Mm. and be much more dedicated to insights that maybe my peers didn't do. So um, I I think focusing, knowing what you want uh, in in terms of your career, modeling yourself, and this is a very important thing given what you're doing with these podcasts, Mm I always knew who the big brokers were around the United States. Mm -hmm. And so I watched what they were doing in my twenties and early thirties. I was like, Oh, look at that person. And that person, I always knew them even in advance of meeting them. Um, and I knew what I wanted my business to look like. And I think if you kind of have it in the back of your head, um, things begin, you know, we have a way of self self actualizing and these things came about in terms of the nuts and bolts of it, though, I, I dedicate a lot of resources. I've spent a lot of money over the years, certainly more than my peers on imagery, mm-hmm. on video, on uh, I write my own narrative. But I'm very careful about how a property is represented and positioned. I don't take properties that I think cheapen the portfolio I have. Mm-hmm. I don't take things unless they're a referral. I, I'm very wary about the clients I represent. Mm-hmm. Um and that's not, uh, listen, I, I don't mean to sound cocky in that way, more that I'm just trying to be judicious. I'm right. trying to say, I want to represent the best of the best and I, I don't want to be dragged down by anything. Well, that you might create,
0: and them. you're creating that environment. You're creating that yeah. environment for yourself and for those clients. And like attracts like, last question, what yes. for everyone listening to this, what is, if there's one thing that you want us to take from this interview? What would that be?
3: Um, it's a great question. I would say, um, find that part of the business that really resonates with you emotionally. For example, for me, it's the creative and the marketing side of it and play to your strengths and hire to your weaknesses. Um,
0: play to yeah. your strengths, and higher to your weaknesses. Love
3: yeah. That. yeah. I would say that's a, you know, I'm never going to get any awards for math or physics, but I, I, You're I do for ser-
0: creativity and
3: relationships.
0: Now you ser- finished the statement. I'm finishing it for you. Go ahead.
3: What was that? What I was said, the yeah,
0: was? I was finishing the statement. You said, I don't i to get any rewards for mathematics or I forgot what the other one was. And then Our I physics. finished it for you in physics. But, and then I said, but you would for relationship building and creativity.
3: Yeah. Well, that's it. I, You know, and and don't sit, get out in the world and go meet people. You know, sitting on the end of the dock waiting for a fish to come swim up to your line is not not the future of this business. And it's certainly not, it's going to make you highly replaceable uh, in a world where uh, technology is shifting underneath our feet awesome
0: so well said bill thank you so much it's been awesome having you talk
3: to you jerry
0: talk to you appreciate
3: it and uh looking forward to seeing you soon and and best to uh, everybody out there
0: see you soon